This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy Woo! and sadness oh. and anger. Ah. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. Ah. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. Ah. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. My pro tip about getting the writing done is bring your laptop into the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And also yeah. never borrow my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And I'm, I'm a, a writer. writer, but... Welcome to I'm a Writer, but today we have Zach Dotson, who's the author of Bats of the Republic and uh, one of the founders of Featherproof Books, which published my first book, Daddies. He currently teaches design and visual narrative in New Zealand, where he also studies for a PhD in creative writing. Welcome, Zach. Welcome. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited, too. I had no idea you were studying for a PhD. Me neither. (laughs) (laughs) It surprises me every time I hear about it. Is there anything um, you can't do? Mm, yes, a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, guys, this is my favorite podcast. I want you to know. I think I've emailed that to you before, but every week I wait for it to come out. I download it. I listen to it straight through. I abandon my family. I'm like, <laughs> I got to go on a walk. And Thank you. It. Thanks, Zach. I honestly... Um, if you did anything less, I would be pissed. Yes, yeah, same. <laughs> Absolutely. As as two Aries, we demand total uh, supplication. Love. Love. Yeah, yes. All of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you have my complete devotion. Like, I, I is there a ranking system for fans? I want to be like number, You're number one. one. You're number one. I want to be like president of the Butthead fan club oh, or whatever absolutely. it is. I want to like. No, you're that. that for sure. I mean, you're the only one who's ever made us fan art. <laughs> I'm the, I'm Which is the best. Oh my God, please do. It makes me so happy. Now I want to hear you read to us. All right. So this is a, um, I'm working on another novel. This is a excerpt. I don't think you need to know anything other than it's set in a moon base on the moon. Ooh. Awesome. When I think of my child self, I think of the swans. I never saw them up close, just tiny white specks on the artificial lake. Of course, I didn't know it was artificial at the time. I was just a girl. The child house with its imitation sky and grassland, the synthetic snow on the branches of the white birch trees, the long cycled seasons of childhood before we knew it was all underground, a replica earth in miniature. 
There were cracks in the sky, the paint was peeling on the plains, but all that seemed natural too to my child self. They wanted us to grow up like they had, but it wasn't possible on the moon. The spell had to be broken at some point. I'm sure you remember your first night walk, everyone does, but for the girls, it was different. Yes, we were told about the collapse of the earth, the escape to the moon. Yes, we were put into the moon suits, which we had never seen before and marched to the airlock. Yes, we were pushed out onto the forever gray plain, blinding sunlight, weightless bounce. But the difference with the girls, we were now left on our own. It was a harsh awakening. On the surface, we saw the world as it really was. Gone were the dimmable blue skies, the warm breeze, and the sound of the Swan Lake folding over the shore. The real sun was too bright to look at directly. The real earth was reduced to a porthole of faraway blue. The forever night and empty starscape would kill us in seconds for mere exposure. Some were confused, some cried. I felt as blank as the black. We had to march to the safety of the next moon house. Everyone was scared we'd run out of oxygen. Footprints in the dust disappeared over the curved horizon. We set out on the path. To hesitate would mean death. We were almost there when one of the girls spotted something sparkling in the base of a crater far off the path. My earpiece crackled inside the suit. The other girls yelling, begging, and demanding, but she was already walking toward it, hypnotized by a shimmering mirage. The group stopped on the trail, and a few of us went to retrieve her. A large vein in the center of the crater had split open, spilling diorite down into the deep bottom, handfuls of diamond glinting in the sunlight. We arrived to find her staring at it, fascinated. I, in turn, became transfixed by her face, the way she looked at those rocks, curious, alive, beautiful. It was the first time I'd known desire. Someone else pulled the girl from her, dior from her diorite reverie. When we finally saw the house, we bounded toward it, arriving on the last of our oxygen. My relief soon faded. The next house was another test of survival. The girls were competitive, cruel. I was not one of the popular ones. My only solace was the diorite girl who featured heavily in my daydreams. I didn't dare approach her. And the night walks continued. They marched us out every month to feel the precariousness of our existence. One night walk, wandering blissfully alone, I saw my own glimmer of hope, a piece of diorite, the size and shape of an egg winking up at me. Not way down in the bottom of the crater, but on the edge where I could reach it. I secreted the rock in my moon suit I imagined holding it out to the girl and offering to make her eyes light up in the same way they had on that first night walk, and then her gaze shifting up to meet mine, that same look of curiosity and delight. No foreign objects were allowed in the house, no secrets. Over the next month, I could feel the diorite stone spark under my bed, even in the dead dark. We had a night walk coming soon, a plan formed. I would get her alone. I would tell her how I felt. But then, one of the other girls found the stone. She said I had to throw it back or she'd tell. I was the last to pull on my moon suit for the night walk the next evening. All the girls knew my secret now. When we got to the edge of a crater, they gathered around to see what I would do. I pulled the diorite out of my pocket. I stared at it, sparkling speckled in the palm of my glove, but for too long. I hadn't seen its intended recipient join the onlookers. Suddenly, the girl's voice was there, whispering in my earpiece, is that diorite? I froze. She approached me. 
My daydream began to unfold in front of my eyes. I held the rock out to her, just as I had imagined. Her face lit up with longing, just as I had imagined. Her eyes rose to meet mine, just as I had imagined. All my desire reflected back to me, a light shining in a mirror. The other girl stared. She reached out delicately as to not crush the precious egg, and I threw it back into the bottom of the crater. I turned and stumbled away as the rock descended half time, flickering in the sunlight behind me. That was, that awesome, was beautiful, Zach. Zach. Yeah. Thank you. I really want to know like how your brain, like how your imagination <laughs> works, because it feels like this is how you go. Like you you just have these vast worlds that you can riff on. Is it painful? Like what's it like when you're writing these worlds? Um, is it fun? Yeah, it's really fun. I love Seems it. Fun. I mean, it feels like um, such a privilege. I mean, writing writing as a whole feels like such a privilege, but I think, you know, I've come to realize that it's really the the world building is probably my, my favorite part of it. You know, the, mm. the plot and the characters and the sentences, all of those things I struggle with and I'm happy if I feel like they succeed a little bit and I'm miserable when they fail, which is mm -hmm. all the time. But like mm -hmm. the world building, I could just go on and on uh, with it forever. So in, in this particular book, you know, I had to figure out how does a moon base work, right? And what's the oxygen level in a, in a moon suit? And I could just spend hours like clicking open Wikipedia tabs, and, <laughs> uh, you know, wasting my life. Oh man. Well, how, like, when did you start this novel? Where are you at with it? Like what, where are we in your process right now? Yeah. So I started it. I don't even want to do the exact math because it's depressing, but I think like <laughs> three or four years ago, uh, maybe even more. So I started it in Finland where I lived three or four years ago and it, and it's kind of infused with that, or, or I think of it as a, a novel from that time and, and place. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I wrote a full draft there and I think I've told you this, Lindsay, you know, I, I wrote this draft and I, um, sent it to my agent, who's somebody that I value and trust. And um, uh, he wrote me back and was like, he, you know, I was expecting pages and pages of feedback because normally he's like, yeah, see what you're trying to do. This is where it's falling apart. Here's what, it, you know, and it's really good. It's really helpful. Um, but this time he was just kind of like, uh, I don't get it. Doesn't seem like a thing. Whoa. <sighs> And I was like, what? And uh, oh. yeah, so then like my whole, my whole world fell apart. I fell into a ditch and then I just like lay in a ditch. And then anybody who like came near me had to have a miserable conversation about it. Oh. Um, and it was terrible. But then, it, and this is why I'm your number one fan. It was this podcast that <gasps> oh, no way. fall out of the ditch. Uh. Or did and it make you go deeper into the ditch? <laughs> <laughs> figured out the ditch was upside down and I should <laughs> oh that's so uh, great I love that yeah well it was it was you Lindsay I think at some point in one of those first couple episodes you were like yeah I had 10 minutes in the parking lot of the daycare and so I wrote something and I was just like oh fuck if Lindsay is taking 10 minutes in the parking lot of the daycare mm -hmm. then I got to get my shit together like all my pieces <laughs> are bullshit and if I want to do this, then I got to climb out of the ditch and just do it, you know? Yeah. 
That's awesome. I so think it's like, I... I don't know, you have to like re convince yourself over and over and over again that you're a capital W writer. Like it never goes away. It never goes away that you, yeah. you know, no. like it's like something you have to keep doing. Who are we talking to? Maybe it was Aaron Summers who was like, or maybe she tweeted this. Like, I just want to write the novel so that I never have to write the novel ever again. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> yep. like, yep. I'm ready to rest on happen? my laurels like immediately. Yes. Right, right. Uh, um, yeah. So yeah. So then I crawled out of that ditch, and then I I I knocked all the game pieces off the table, and then I put it all back together, and then I hated it, and then I knocked them off again, and then now I'm trying to put it all back together again. But it is it is slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah how long is how long is the is this draft what like what is what are we talking about here i this is kind of embarrassing that i don't know the word count no i, I mean no yeah good for you yeah that's, you're living I'm, free absolutely no no i i would except that i i i end up doing it all in indesign because it lets me start to mess with design things and then indesign bafflingly does not have a word counter huh. so uh, i would have to, i have to do a very complicated thing to like figure out the exact word count but mm. i don't know novel length when you say start to do design things what does that mean for someone who knows nothing about design <laughs> what does that mean that you're doing while you're actually drafting zach well it's maybe it's the stuff that i'm trying not to do actually i i with both bats and this one i try and because the writing part is the hard part for me and and you know, to what you're saying, Lindsay, about the capital W writer, I still can't help but to think of myself as a designer who's like moonlighting or, you know, scribbling on the side when I shouldn't be or something like that. Um, but yeah, so I, I try and make myself write the whole thing, you know, in Word uh, or Googly Docs or whatever, mm -hmm. and then uh, save the design for last because it's fun and it's easier for me and I'm, it's not so, you know, it doesn't cut to the core of my insecurity or whatever <laughs> yeah. um, mm -hmm. and but inevitably I write something and I can't help it and I bring it into InDesign and I start moving things around and changing fonts like you know when you waste time picking out a font like mm -hmm. that's, like, and all my time. that's how I waste all my time um, and then the, inevitably the story doesn't work like my agent was very correct about that I have to change all the text, which means I have to change the design. And then it just becomes like a spaghetti nightmare mess. So, oh man. So awesome. it's like a process that is already cumbersome and impossible is now super cumbersome <laughs> and impossible. <laughs> so dumb. Uh, I, uh, with this one, I was like, I'm, I can do it in two years. The last Bats of the Republic took like six years. I was like, that's <sighs> ridiculous. I will write this book in two years. And I think I'm on year four oh. and starting over. So not, not a good clip. I don't think six I, years I, is ridiculous though, either. I mean, like, I don't know. I feel like six is still within the range of like, okay, yeah, that's, that's not crazy. I don't know. Maybe it is, I know but yeah. <sighs> I don't know. I just spent five, close to five, over five, and it like just slips. It just slips from you without even. I mean, it doesn't feel like five, but then you. But you do look. you want Alex? Do you want to spend another five years on the next one? 
Uh, no, <laughs> I want to still be alive at the end of this process. I don't want to have to leave off start the over on that one and spend another five years. Oh, man. oh no, God. no, Zach, no. no. <laughs> uh, I mean, when I, Alex, I think you're totally right. Like when I, when I was a reader and before I really tried to write, you know, I would read something by somebody that I loved and it'd be great. And I'd be like, when's the next book? This is mm-hmm. genius. Just make another book. What are you doing? It's been three <laughs> years, you know? And now I'm like, oh, it took you 10 years. Congratulations. You finished. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Right. Ben was just pointing out that he was reading some, oh, he was, once again, I'm going to bring up him reading James McBride. How old is James uh, McBride? He was like, well, he's in his sixties, honey. He's like, you know, you're only 41, you know? Oh, and then he wants me, he's reading Lydia Millet's book right now. Same thing. Children's Bible. Yep. Cool. Yeah. He's loving it. I was Um, just telling my wife, like you're either like a prodigy at like 22 or something, or you make your master work when you're like 54. (laughs) Yeah, totally. You know, I was mostly telling myself this. But, uh, but yeah, she had to listen to it, but it is. And it's like, and that whole time, it's not like you just woke up when you turned 54 and you were able to fart out this amazing masterpiece. It's like, you were chugging along the way that we've all been chugging along, you know, right. uh, and in design or no, and, you know, like yeah. making, 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 making until something just kind of fell into place at the right time. And it's always about timing. Yeah. <sighs> um it's hard it's hard but also i mean how lucky i mean such a i i think all the time about like the my ancestors or even you know my direct my great grandfather or something all the generations before ours we had to like you know plow the field or Mm -hmm. chase down the mammoth or whatever (laughs) (laughs) they had to do you know and uh just to be in that rarefied moment in history and socioeconomic whatever that i can pour time on something completely made up i mean just feels um feels so lucky i love it at the same time yeah i know it does feel ridiculous to complain like when I'm like sitting on my fat butt on the couch, just like, oh, I need to make the words come. <laughs> it's like my grandfather, my my grandfather uh, had a farm, you know, and like had to spend, you know, backbreaking weeks picking rocks out of his field by hand so that he could plow, you know, and it's like, oh, I want to make a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> Part of the pleasure is in the complaining. I don't know. It is. It is. No, it definitely is. I yeah, I definitely agree with that. Maybe as you were describing what your drafting process is like, I thought, my God, it's a good thing that I can only do one thing. If I had another skill set, I would absolutely do that. I would just try and like, like a related skill set to writing that was I could somehow bring into the process if I could had any kind of visual talent. Oh my God, that sounds like it in some ways would be so tempting to just do as you were describing it, i was like oh my god yes i are understand you, that are you able to make like maps and stuff in indesign or is it mainly like layout and you know like as you're world building are you like drawing you know are you drawing the where they live on the moon and you know like as you're going yes totally so i've made you know moon based diagram after moon based diagram awesome that's another one you know does design of the moon suit right like there's something you can waste you know hours and weeks on in you know figuring out exactly what does it look like right um 
but no, I don't know. It's great. I think it's, it's um, a blessing and a curse. I mean, I, I think one, one thing that I've realized now that I'm older is like, I finally figured out what I'm supposed to be. And it's a, like a dilettante or something, you know, or like I can't do, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a, if it's a skill set, but it's um, um, it does, it does do something for me in that when I get really stuck in the writing, I can switch over and try and draw something or make something for a while. Mm-hmm. And it's often satisfying because it comes quickly and I can satisfy myself in that process relatively quickly. Whereas like the writing, I'm just never happy with and never going to be happy with. <laughs> um, but then it gets it gets a little boring or, or too easy or design only goes so deep, you know? Yeah. It's, it, um, it's a surfacey thing in the end, right? There's, there's not... Uh, there's not the same, you can't make the same kind of meaning that uh, like a really good novel can make from all its parts, you know? So then I inevitably go back and try and write and cry. <laughs> Do you find that like going back to it after being in the visual side, um, like deepens it in some way or is it hard to sort of access that part? It helps sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, oh, now I really know what that room looks like or I really know what um, that character looks like. Um, I think even Carol Anshaw, who I'm sure you know. Oh yes, um, I love her. Yeah, said one time she always just, she draws whatever house or if there's a main setting, she draws just the floor plan so that nobody turns like the wrong corner at the wrong time or something. But even that kind of visualization I think can really help make things concrete, you know? Yeah, I was just thinking like I, when I was studying theater in high school, we did these like mime exercises and I sucked so bad at them because it'd be like, okay, like the teacher would say like, you're holding a glass of water and you're going to sit in a chair and you're going to turn on the TV. And I would like hold my glass of water. I'd sit in the chair and all of a sudden the glass of water was not in my hand anymore. I didn't like, I couldn't remember to put it down, you know, I couldn't. And then like I was holding the remote in one hand and then all of a sudden was the other hand. And I, and I think that's so similar to when you're writing something you know, and you're like describing a place or you're in the room or whatever. And sometimes it's very, sometimes it's very like free flowing and you can see it immediately. And then other times it's just like, and then they put the table in the corner and then they sit in the chair, you know? And so you're like, wait a minute, you know, like, weren't they in the bathroom? Like, why is there Mm -hmm. a bureau in there? You know? And it's just like, I think it's similar to, um, you know, like what you're talking about, like you need to, you need to sort of agree on what things look like as you're going through. And it's nice too, in a novel, you can't, like, you can't hold it all in your head. And like a room, the way a room looked like when you were writing it in June, and then you go back to it in December, you're like, what the, f-? you know, like, huh? <laughs> it's so, it's so hard. I was talking to our, our buddy, Adam Price, who was on the show about where you get uh, just like, okay, if you're writing the story and there's a house in the story, do you always default to the same house without thinking or if you are writing about you know a particular like if you're writing about a storefront is it always the same storefront and I was I always do default to like the same house and then have to be modulating off of that which seems like in a way like the opposite of what Zach is describing I have to like dumb it down as much as possible use the same like single Lego block and then say, okay, now it's going to be green this time and like trick myself that what I'm doing is any different than before. 
I just have to make the problem as small as possible. That is, that's like my obsession. Well, yeah. And I think also you can be obsessed with those kinds of places. Like I think of Ann Tyler, like every Ann Tyler book is set in a Baltimore, like clapboard house, you know? Right. Right. And probably because she lives in one of them, you know, and, and it's just, she can vibe off of that for book after book after book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Alex, I would say that's the way it works in everyone's brain. There's this, um, book called What We See When We Read, which mm. is by Peter Mendelssohn, who's a fantastic book designer, one of my favorite um, book designers. And he talks, in, it's all about kind of like, you know, what happens inside your brain, their kind of reader imagination. Uh, and he uses the example of a dock. And he's like, oh, imagine this dock, it's late at night, here's the dock, he like sets a whole scene. And then he kind of freezes to you. And he's like, okay, go back and look more closely at that dock. Like, where did that particular dock come from? Because as a reader or imaginer, you filled it in from a childhood memory or a movie, you know, is right. it a long wooden dock? Is it an industrial dock, right? So like every time you do that in writing, like you say, a car or a candle, you like call that reader's default thing up out of their own memory or experience, which is totally um, amazing and uncontrollable and magic at the same time it is magic do you are you are you able to isolate out what the default starting point is for this project do you have a, a sense of what the what the visual spark was if there was one hmm. I think a lot of the visuals were inspired by Finland there's a very different like aesthetic there um, but also biosphere 2 you guys know biosphere 2 no no so in the in the Arizona desert, Alex, it would fit in the in the Phoenix UFO oh, yeah. uh, world. Yeah, there's um, in the 90s. Well, you know, do you remember Biodome? What about Biodome? For sure. Totally. Okay. So that, that one we is, know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good. Um, so, yeah, that one was based on the real biosphere, which was, you know, this thing they built uh, in the Arizona desert, which was kind of like a moon base, a giant glass house. And they tried to have all the ecosystems inside it. And this was in the nineties. And I went as a kid, it, it was not that far from El Paso, Texas, where I grew up. So, you know, my parents looking for road trips, we went out to biosphere while the, the, I think there were nine in there. The biospherians were like locked, sealed inside for two years, um, you know, and looked at them through the glass, like, zoo animals or or whatever and um but when i was a kid i was just i mean my imagination was totally captured by this gigantic biosphere which was like a moon base and these astronaut looking people inside and so then you know thinking about that some years ago i started to they've made a documentary now and you can read a lot more about it but um jane pointner one of the women inside wrote a kind of like a tell tell all memoir, you know, like who was, who was sleeping with who and who hated who, who and everybody hated everybody. And it was a disaster. <laughs> there were no scientists involved. They were what? kind of more like a new agey cult that did mm. this. So the whole thing didn't work. Like the ecosystem, like they put a bunch of bees in there to like pollinate the flowers. <laughs> bees flew into the glass on day one and all died. <gasps> You know? oh and by the end they like only had sweet potatoes all their skin turned orange because they were only <laughs> eating sweet potatoes and starving it's an amazing story but anyway so that's kind of what that's kind of where the moon base came from is the fascination with that place and just the 
the way that whenever there's a group of people, even a small group of people, it seems like they need to divide and hate each other for mm. I don't know what reason, but that kind of whole uh, dynamic. Anyway, it's still there. You can go inside and, and wow. um, tour it as a tourist. Jeez. It's really a crazy story. For a while, like, ah, they tried to, when the first one failed, they tried to restart it with scientists. Steve Bannon was in charge of it. <gasps> what the it. And his or Biosphere's story. <laughs> Nothing about it makes sense. The whole thing was financed by a Texas oil billionaire. Huh. When you were saying earlier that you, um, I think you put it that you you moved all the game pieces, you threw mm. them off the table and then you put them all back in a different way. Like, what does that mean? You know, are you moving sections or? Jamie Attenberg calls it breaking your book. She yeah. she breaks her book a number of times when she's revising. Yes, I think that's that's a good that's a good phrase for it. She's a great writer. Um, yeah, and bats, I, I felt like I broke many times before it, it finally was right. I guess this time it was really plotting things out. Again, I knew the setting and the world building was solid and the characters were pretty much there. But, you know, it, um, I mean, my agent's feedback was a little bit longer, but he was like, yeah, I'm not really feeling a, a plot or stakes. And, and I don't know, that's just really hard for me. I, I uh, um I don't know when this was a few months or a few years ago, but there was a tweet Patrick Somerville wrote on Twitter. Um, I don't know how many times I have to say it. Plot is character. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, like that tweet, you know, and I'm like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I'm like, what does that mean? I don't know. How do you do that? How do you, I don't know what you're talking about, you know? So I think I'm trying to, to, to get the plot and the character things aligned. Um, Alex, do you know what that means? Because you studied with Patrick. I did study with Patrick. Uh, I I don't know what that means. I, I mean, <laughs> other than sounds I mean, good though, right? Oh, it sounds great. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> but I repeat things that Patrick taught us all the time. He's the one who taught taught me the have one character go after one thing that I literally use all the time. I, well, that that sounds like what yeah. it is then, right? I mean, in a way, yeah, I get, actually, you know, it's not that different from what we were talking about related to that, Lindsay, where you can just fall back on having one character pursuing one thing when you forget what the book is. It's an easy way to kind of recalibrate yourself, reorient yourself within the work. And yeah, in that way, that is plot housed within character. So yeah, we'll say that. Yeah. Thank I, you, Patrick. I, yeah. I remember when you mentioned that on one episode and I thought, oh, that's so great. And then I thought about my own book and I was like, okay. What's my like one character and their one thing? And then, nope, I don't have that. <laughs> but maybe your plot is your character. Next yeah, next time. Mm. Oh, I know. It's heartbreaking. I uh... now, now I'm falling into a ditch. Nope, nope, nope. Get out of <laughs> no, the no, ditch. No, get out, get out. Nope. Your, your book is, is making its own rules. And then it's going to touch the bear and it's going to be fine. Right. That's going to be fine. Oh, I love touching the bear. I, I, I need to make some fan art about touching the bear. Yes. Touching try bear to touch great. the bear. Blair Hurley. Thank you, Blair Hurley. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wonder if she has any clue <laughs> how much we love that. <laughs> well, how do you get yeah, this work? Under a bear skin rug. There oh, there go. you go. That should be cheap and easy. Um, <laughs> how do you get this work done? Because you're extremely busy. You have two kids. You are teaching. You're getting your PhD. 
like when, what does it look like when you're working? How do you get it done? Yeah, well, I mean, that's why I love listening to you guys talk about this stuff is because I relate to that, to that struggle of time and the bargaining of time with a partner and a family, and a job, and life, you know? Um, but yeah, for me, I mean, my beautiful wife gifts me time uh, sometimes and every once in a while, like a nice chunk of like a few days or something <gasps> where I can go away and like do something, which is amazing when that happens, of course. Um, but mostly I steal time from work mm-hmm. is how I, is how I, yeah. And I'm lucky in the, you know, it's kind of built into the job, right? Like you're supposed to be doing research and mm-hmm. I look up a lot of academic words and I put them around my synopsis to make it into research, you know, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that allows me to kind of steal some time um, from work, but it's not, it's not much. It's hard. Um I've been uh, one day a week now getting up at like 6 a.m. and leaving the house. This is another gift from the wife. Leaving the house before anybody else is awake, which means that I can skip the like two to three hours it takes to like make everyone breakfast, get Mm -hmm. everyone dressed, convince them to get in the car, take them (laughs) to school, go back, get the book bag, all of these kinds of things, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's... I'm I'm amazed that they sleep past six o'clock. Tell me your secrets. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they don't always, especially my my daughter. She is, uh, yeah, she's in charge of the whole operation. (laughs) Oh man, I can relate to that. No, I will wake up at five sometimes and I'll be wide awake and I'll think, okay, I'm going to go downstairs. I'm going to be so quiet. I'm going to go downstairs and I'm going to go do X, Y, Z, and within like 20 minutes, the whole house is awake, you know, like they just, they hear there's waiting for any excuse to come out. So yeah. yeah. About half the time that I've had one of those mornings, it's been thwarted by something like that. Or, you know, <laughs> somebody has a fever or whatever, you know, whatever. Yes. How do you know, how did you know, cause I, I know you don't know right now, but how did you know, like when bats was done, like, how did you think to yourself, like this is finished? Well, the, by publication, I mean, that was the, the <laughs> blessing of having it printed, you know, uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't mess with it. And at some point, actually near the end, um, it might have already been sold. And, um, but I was still tinkering with it and still changing things. And I, I had this like, um, take it back moment where I thought, you know what, I like just tinkering with this do I want to publish it? Maybe I'll just mm. tinker with this for the rest of my life. It's like my hobby in the garage and I don't have to publish it. Um, Did you really think I, that? I, what's that? You really thought that? I or did. Were you just scared? Wow. Well, yes, yes. I was terrified. Um, but I did have that thought. I, you know, I considered it for a second and, you know, I thought, oh, well, the right thing to do is obviously put it out and then like pick up the next one or make the next one or build the next wind up toy, right? Like um, mm-hmm. go on to the next one. That's, that's, that's the way to, to start over and, and keep things, um, keep things moving. So yeah, I'm, you know, I'm happy with bats in a lot of ways, but of course, if I was still tinkering on it, it would change a million things. Mm-hmm. Isn't that always true? Don't you guys feel that way? I, I find, (laughs) um, Alex yells at me about this a lot, but I find that I have all this, like these hangups about my books and like, 
you know, then sometimes I'll actually look at them and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> they're not, they're not so bad. Um, yeah. They're not so think, bad. Yeah. I think, I think from book to book, I'm trying to like, you know, grow man, but also like fix what I like, whatever flaw stood out the most for me in the previous book or like challenge yeah. myself in a new way. Um, yeah. And that can be, that can be like a, like a bewildering place because like, it's, it's a starting point that only you know about, you know, and, mm. um, and it can be hard to remember, you know, like what, what you were doing in the first place. So that satisfaction though is like, is like fuel. I think it does make you want to do the next one or you have this constant feeling of like, Oh, I can do it better. I know I can, I know I can get better at that or, you know, um, I will get that Kirkus starred review. If it's the last thing I fucking do. <laughs> oh my God. I, I am not, I, I try and I try and think all the time. Okay. Do your work and then step back, just do your work and then step back, leave it alone. Because I, I don't know if I'm a tinkerer by nature in the same way as you Zach, but I am, I am, I can definitely fall into just like, wow, this is fucking garbage. And I can just kind of wallow in that. But uh, I mean, I don't know. I really just think about trying to do something different, take a bigger swing, do something stranger. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, I think I'm, I reach a point where I really do just want to be done with it. And so, yeah, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm built tough enough to stay in a project for much longer than I, am on this one currently already actually <laughs> but if you're staying in the activity i mean i think that's that's so much about it too and not thinking mm -hmm. about that kirkus star or whatever mm -hmm. right whatever prize. there was this um i was listening when i was in finland i was listening to this finnish rapper speak uh papadi t you should you should look him up because it's amazing to watch finnish rap and um <laughs> he was saying how he used to get very caught up in the marketing and the image and the, all the other stuff around his music and then he realized he just had to stop and make the songs and that was his part that was his job mm -hmm. in the whole ecosystem to make the songs as best that he could and let somebody else worry about all the rest of the of the stuff which I don't know I think there's a lot of a lot of truth in that I mean having been a Definitely. publisher the rest of that stuff is is Oh, it's a own can of worms, you know. It is. They do. They there is that horrifying questionnaire that they give you, where you're supposed to think like that because, like, their public their publicity department doesn't know you, you know, like the way that your editor does, and so they want to know like how to market you. And this is I'm talking right. about like the big houses. There's all I these say questions. Don't fill that out. I yeah, say you, don't. Fill that. That's right. that's what, when you're having the author freak out. That's like the author busy work that they give you to like keep you distracted and calm. <laughs> <laughs> make you think you can't do it without them or I don't know it's a cynical take but well, it's uh, like name name some influential people you know that we can send books to and it's like I don't um, what my mom I guess <laughs> <laughs> and then you just feel like if you know like as if you're a writer first starting out and you're not really of that world you're just kind of like oh shit I am doomed <laughs> like I have nothing to offer you but the work like literally that's all I thought I had to do uh, I guess that's not true, you know? Yeah. But I do think it is true, you know? Like, I think 
all that marketing stuff, having tried and albeit mostly failed to, to market books myself, uh, I think the best thing that you can do is have an amazing book, you know, because it doesn't matter the ads or the reviews or anything like that. I think the thing that makes people read a book is somebody they know, their friend that they trust, tells them, oh my gosh, you got to read this book. Yes. Like, it, it's amazing. It will blow your mind. Like that's the thing that gets, that makes the chain reaction happen. It gets the next person to read that starts the, the snowball. And the only thing that you can do is have a, a book that's good enough that somebody, when they're done, instead of just going, hmm, it turns to their friend and is like, you have to read this. Mm-hmm. That's so true. It really is. I mean, that's, that's what works on me as a reader. Definitely. Like you right. hear all the hyped books, but I never really like go get the book until I see people talking about it, that people that I trust, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was talking about this with my agent because, you know, like we recently tried to sell a novel that was plotless. It was basically about time, you know, time and motherhood and family. And, and it was really just exploring these people's lives, like in various chronological and non-chronological ways. And um, like, he sees it very clearly and like gets it. Um, but it doesn't seem like the type of thing that's going to sell. And I'm so mad about it. I haven't, I have not read that book. You don't ever send me your drafts, but I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> I send nobody my drafts. <laughs> Um, I was proud of it, but he, I said to him, you know, I'm, I'm, I wish I would have thought more about like a book that could sell. Like I never, ever thought to myself, let me write a book that publishers are you know, going to want to buy. I never thought that. And and I was beating myself up about it. Cause I feel like as a, you know, as a writer who's been doing this for two decades, basically that I should know better. I should be thinking about the market. I should be thinking about the readers, you know? Um, and he was like, I actually don't think that's the right thing to do. You know, and he kind of like you know, he was like, no, I think you have to write the book that you want to write. And then at that point, we have to talk about, you know, all the business side of it. Um, I agree. But it can end in heartbreak, you know, like you can write the book you wanted to write and it can end with nobody, you know, with nobody wanting it. So, but how much, I mean, percentage wise, what do you think your like satisfaction from having made the thing the way that you wanted it to be versus the having it be published and go out and, you know how it feels to have a book in the world and have it feels life terrible. and amazing things happen, some bad things, you know? No, I know. And I, and I think I'm of two minds because I, you know, like I've talked about how I keep it in my nightstand and I pet it like a little, you know, pet <laughs> and I check in on it and I love it. And um, so I'm really like happy with that. And I, and I like the feeling I had when I was writing it and the feeling I had when I knew it was done um, was really special. Uh, so that's one part of it, but the other part of it is this really scary thing that I put on myself that I don't think I, it's totally my fault, but just being a 41 year old woman writer in this industry, like, and I know it's getting better. Um, but it can make me, it, it can make me feel like I just, I want permission to, to publish the next book. I want to make another book. I want to like, I want to keep making books. So yeah. to be told no is so scary. Um, but I have a great, agent and you know like so so we'll see but it, it is it is like I know that that's a lot of it's in my head but a, but a lot of it's not in my head too you know like we celebrate like the the debut author so so much and the um the young author and all that and like I've had I've had these periods 
in, in my career where I've thought like, I have to be so pretty, you know, like if I can just make myself so pretty, <laughs> then my books will sell, you know, and that's so sad. Like, where's that coming from? You know, mm. I know it's coming from me, but it's coming from other things too, that I've noticed. Mm. Um, so anyway, yeah. that's just the stuff that I have to fight. And I think like this process is making me a better writer and it's making me like, like, um, like own it more than I think I ever have in my career before, which has been useful for what I'm working on now, which is a total rewrite <laughs> of the, of the book, but, but what you're excited about. Mm-hmm. I'm very, yeah, I, I, I'm very excited. It's fun. And the parts that you read are amazing. I mean, I think you did the exact right. You've done the exact right thing in reaction to that holding pattern or rejection or whatever is happening with the one that's out on submission, which is just to like, you did this podcast, you're writing the, the ne- you're writing the next thing, which is mm-hmm. the thing to do, you know? And I agree with your agent. I don't think that you should write to guess what the market wants to buy. Even the market doesn't know what it wants to buy, you know? It doesn't. And that was his point. And he was like, so often if people do that, if they write toward, oh, this is going to be big, then it flops, you know? And I know I don't have it in me to be like, Ooh, I'm going to write this YA novel about like a girl who, you know, can like grow an arm that I, whatever. See, I can't even, I can't even come up with an idea. Ben's laughing. Get this. She grows an arm. Uh, <laughs> how often have you wanted an extra arm? Baseless publisher. The jacket copy is writing itself. I'll design the cover right now. There you go. Like an arm on a floral pattern. <laughs> Her name is Tri Arm. It rolls off the tongue. <laughs> anyway, this is about you, Zach. I think Tri Arm is about me in a way too. <laughs> it is because uh, how many freaking balls do you have in the air? You know, several. Well, you're a Renaissance so man. Uh, <laughs> there was a, a designer in Chicago who I admired a lot. Um, he was the art director for Chicago, but he had like, uh, for Time Out Chicago, he had a million things going on. He was doing Punk Planet and the skateboard magazine, and he had his own art gallery with his wife and was also a painter and just like, oh. you know, I met him when I was in my early 20s and he just seemed to be doing a million things and I, I couldn't help it. I was just like, how how are you like five people? How is it possible to do all this stuff? And he said, I just half-ass it all. That sounds like the ticket. <laughs> my life solved. Um, that's, definitely, that's definitely a tactic, I will say. That what I have an amazing <laughs> answer. I love that guy. Whoever that guy is, I love that guy. He's, he's probably doing, he's probably half-assing like half a dozen things as we speak. You know? Oh, man. Brilliant. <laughs> I half-ass a lot of things and then other things I fake. Yes. The faking it till you make it or just, you know, it's very powerful. It's very powerful. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great strategy, actually. It is. Do your kids know that you're a writer? Do you sh- do they like look at your books, ask you about that stuff? I think maybe still too young. So yeah. my son, who's my oldest, is five. So he has some vague sense of that. His friend, who is six and wants to be like a children's book author, was very impressed and had <laughs> some. But 
but Soren, my son, I don't think he cares. But he, <laughs> he, um, he does, you know, he tries to make his own little books, which I, I delight in. So we've sat there while he writes just whatever comes into his mind and draws, and then we tape it all together. And um, I think that's so cool. They're hilarious. Quickies was so great. I, I remember the first quickies I'll never forget. Oh, I was trying so hard to impress you. In the first quickies? Yes. No. Mary, Mary told me who you were. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, you know, like I was, I wanted to do a book with you guys. I was hoping no, you that. Did not. No, yes. This is revisionist. Alex, it's not. I'll you, Alex, I'll tell you the real story. Okay. Tell no, me. this is not. It's not revisionist. You can ask Ben. He's right here playing Animal Crossing. <laughs> <laughs> Case in point. Um, so Quickies, you know, was such a wild success. I mean, like everybody loved it. Every time they did it, everybody showed up. Lindsay was the star of the show always because she just reads in this incredible way that like just captivates and enraptures everybody, right? It's like, I can't tell you how many times I was the host of this reading or that reading or that event or whatever. And before the event, every other reader would come up to me. I'd be like, when do you want to go? And they'd be like, can I just, can you not put me after Lindsay? <laughs> every single person. And then I'd just be like, yep, guess Lindsay's the headliner again because <laughs> nobody can follow. Um, but anyway, I'll just quick as I feel like for a year, both Jonathan and I begged you, like put these things together in a book book we'll publish a book whatever as many as you want as few as you want call it whatever you want we we want to make a book out of it and you were like yeah i don't know i'm not sure you guys seem like idiots no (laughs) okay i had and i have these voices in my head that tell me that people are just being polite because they feel sorry for me and i honestly (laughs) believed that i didn't think you guys were serious and it wasn't until you i think you both were just like our rule at Featherproof was we had to agree, right, on a book to publish it, which was actually a good way of narrowing it down because our tastes were pretty different, you know, and, and the, the Venn diagram in the middle. But um, normally us agreeing meant like one person was like, well, okay, this time. But your <laughs> book, I think, you know, I mean, both Jonathan and I were chasing you. I don't even think we both knew it for a few months, you know, it was the definitely the one where the Venn diagrams overlapped and we were both hundred percent. We need to publish this now. That book still sells like Featherproof mm. is still, you know, it's not like selling hundreds of copies, but there's still, it still sells at a pretty good clip. Yeah. Featherproof it's exists, amazing. which is also like amazing to me. I'm so happy that Tim and now Jason like kept it going and yes. kept putting it in books really great books. They always have such good taste. You guys, the product has always, <laughs> always been so good and so unique and like showcasing writers that you didn't, you know, that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. You want to hear about the next book? Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know if I'm supposed to say about it. Um, so it's a, a book by a Finnish woman that I know, Juliana Hudi. And it's a graphic novel. It's going to be Featherproof's first, um, or they're short stories actually, but in graphic novel form. And it's incredible. Lindsay, I think you will love it. Like the aesthetics of it. I'm so excited. The storytelling and the drawing, it's like amazing. And yeah, I, I have been helping, I guess, 
you know, with the design and the helping Jason figure out graphic novels, which I don't really know myself and trying to translate Finnish, which I also don't know. Oh, man. But um, I just, I had that old like uh, publisher instinct or that's the wrong word, just that like excitement that I couldn't not um, see it happen in the world. So I hope that comes out sometime in, um, in the fall, but it's called the, the Nightingale That Never Sang. Oh, yeah, it's going to be amazing. Good. So you brought her to them. I did. Yes, I did. The That's book awesome. was published in Finland and it won like every award in Finland. It won all these grants. Like the main newspaper is like, like everybody hail our next creative genius. And, you know, the U.S. Uh, just doesn't publish in translation or so few people do or so Finns kind of so few Finns get outside of their um their country or their sphere and it's just the work is clearly so worthy that it just has to have a bigger audience I think okay well I think we've done it <laughs> we've done well, it we've, we've done it this we've is done it. it this is it <laughs> oh my gosh it can't be over already it's a wham bam thank you ma'am <laughs> well now comes the part of the show where like you hang up on me and then the two of you go off by yourselves and you're like, that was great. That was really fun. Oh, yeah, that was great. <laughs> yeah, so we say every time and we mean yeah. it every time. Yeah. No, I can tell. I can tell when you don't. And I'm worried about it. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, no. I, also like, I also like the part where you um, have to ask each other, or, you know, did you get any work done? Which like clearly it's like so it's, you know, part of it is checking in holding each other accountable that kind of thing and trying to be like real friendly and casual about like so did you get it work done but you clearly do not want to ask that i'm gonna slip my wrist after this episode <laughs> All right, i'm bleeding out right now so how cold of you. my fan take i love it it's my favorite part <laughs> one time alex was like yo, we got to mix it up. We're just going to like ask each other these like wild card questions. There's going to be out of left field. It's going to be whatever. We're going to come up with them and then we're going to surprise each other with them. So then like the next episode rolls around and I was like, okay, are we going to do that thing? And he's like, yeah, but I fucking forgot we were going to do it. So I have nothing. <laughs> just, I mean, that's every, you. How was your week? <laughs> that's pro move. What was your question for him? I don't even remember. Yeah. I think it was going to be something about some movie I watched or something like that, but you know it's what? Funny. He didn't deserve it. Yeah, so he I didn't get it. it. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Turns Zach, out. we release you. All right. Thank you both. Thank Thanks, you for Zach. coming. Thank you for having me. He seems like the best guy. Wait, what should we say instead of that was oh, great? Yeah, we have, ours have to be, okay, yeah, we have to. We have to say, man, that was all right. Uh, we have to be even more aggressive than that. Okay. I think we should. God, what a dud. <laughs> <laughs> I can't keep a straight face. I'm too tired. Snooze. <laughs> I, um, I have never met such a creative person ever in my life. And when I was making daddies with him, I, I had all these, like, it was my first book. I didn't know um, anything and I didn't know like the, what the possibilities were. And 
you know, like originally we were going to make them packs of cigarettes and each story was going to be rolled up like a cigarette. Holy Christ. But there was some other collection of books that were coming out with a, like a similar design, not the cigarette part, but like the covers looked like cigarette boxes. Hmm. So we punted on that. And and then I said, you know, I, I keep thinking of like this fishing tackle box, like the, it could, it could be like daddy's fishing tackle box mm-hmm. full of stories and other things. And he, I told you this before, he, he ordered a fishing tackle box, an old fishing tackle box off of eBay and literally like scanned it into the computer. And then we designed it, you know, like he wanted me to say like what images would go with what story. And then like he made those happen. And, you know, like I had the idea of using like my eighth grade school photo as my author photo. And like, mm-hmm. he just, <clears throat> it was so fun. He, and he was right there with me, you know, like it's, it's unique to publish with a small press because everyone there, like J. Robert Lennon was saying, um, has read your book. They're very excited about it. They, you know, like they're completely devoted to you and, um, and your publisher is also your designer, you know, like, it's just, it's so special. And, and like, you know, I would go to his apartment and we would look at things together and like talk things through and he would, you know, he's just exploding with ideas all the time. And like, if anyone, if you're not familiar with um, Bats of the Republic, which is the novel that he was referencing, it's his second book. His first book is boring, 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 boring. That's the title of it. That's not my assessment of it. (laughs) Um, It's insane. You, you, he's, he designed every inch of that book, Bats of the Republic and, um, and, and boring as well, but Bats of the Republic is wild and he's just amazing. He's just, I don't under, I, I wish I had that kind of brain. I wish I, you know, I don't even know how to work Photoshop. (laughs) So it's just really cool. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, and Featherproof is like legendary. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I moved to Chicago in 2005. Me too. Uh, yeah, well, there you go. And a lot of those books were starting to come out maybe like, what, five or six years after that. And I feel like Featherproof was just everywhere. And I mean, you still look at those covers now, the Christian DeBordo book, the Patrick Somerville book, your book, the Blake Butler book. I mean, like those are... I don't know. I feel like those are just absolutely legendary <laughs> books and the covers are all fucking insane. I remember when I saw the cover for the awful possibilities, I was like, Ugh. yeah, it's amazing. It's that, that, that one, that, that <clears throat> one really pops. It's still, uh, yeah, I'm pulling up right now. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Everyone go to Zach Dodson.com and then just look at his narrative design because <clears throat> it is unreal. Like every image is bursting, like literally bursting with, <laughs> with design. You guys mentioned uh, Earl Anshaw at one point, and yes. I read a story of hers when I was in grad school. Uh, Shauna Seeley, who was one of my professors, assigned a story called "The Last Speaker of the Language." Do you know that one? No, I've only read her most recent novel. I think this story. You would love it, actually. Um, but this story was so good that I, I like found her email and I was mm. like, I sent her an email and it's funny. I pulled it up while you guys were talking. I was like, I was trying to remember if that was right. And uh, yeah, but if anyone's out there, it's probably Googleable. You probably find it. But Carol Anshaw is the last speaker of the language. It's just 
a knock you out stunning short story and her name came up so i wanted to shout out she's incredible and i got to study with her and um she's just very like frank and open Mm -hmm. and hilarious i think i guess zach must have studied with her as well because he went to the art institute for grad school too okay yeah but she's also the person who was like yeah if you want to write you probably shouldn't teach (laughs) which is bonkers because she teaches and you know like then she writes all the time so (laughs) yeah probably just being curmudgeonly that day well but i also would love to hear like you know what was behind that comment because who knows i feel like there could be like a whole a whole logic to it that you can't see hearing it on the end i mean i feel like so many of those types of opinions calcify so rigidly uh in book world that it's it's hard to kind of even parse out a simple statement like that like what are you actually telling me yeah and she could have been joking and i just didn't get it totally or that too i was a young buck young book Parker was asking me, or maybe it was Towns, my five-year-old was like, what's a, what's a kid? Like, how old is a kid, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, people are kids until they're 25. <laughs> I was going to say 27, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, and as I said it, like I said it as a joke, and then I was like, no, but I actually really believe that. Like, mm, you're too. a child until you're 25. <laughs> yeah, and then longer. <laughs> and then as long as you choose after that. Yeah. I finished reading Lisa Tadio's new book, Animal. Mm-hmm. And it is, I mean, talk talk about touching the bear. Touch that bear. As I was texting Alex about this earlier, it's like the bears at this point are running in terror <laughs> because that book is just bear after bear getting touched. Um, you were warned by the title. It's true. Animal. There you go. Um, I loved it. It was just my kind of book. And I can't wait to talk to her about it. Yeah, I'm excited to read it. All right. All right, buddy. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. I'm a Writer Butt is recorded by Alex Hickley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. Poop jokes aren't my favorite kind of jokes, but they are my number two. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>